Hey, we're gonna jump into the Word today, and I'm, I'm really excited. I, I woke up this morning um, just really full of faith for what I believe God wants to do in the life of this church, and, um, and I think today could be significant for many. I think today could be a day where um, there are people in this room, and you have heard a lot about God, you've heard a lot about Jesus, you've heard a lot about um, the stories of Scripture, uh, but I do believe that God wants to not just be known, but I believe God wants to be experienced. And I really feel that God is going to encounter some people here today. I think there's some people here that um, you, need, you, you need healing. Something needs to happen in your life that you came here today and you're um, really hoping on the inside, could God do something in my life? Could God bring about a healing or a miracle in my life? And I, I believe today can be a day where you experience that. I do believe today can be a day where a lot of people are gonna experience the, the healing power of God. And I believe God still heals. Anyone else believe that? All right, come on, let's do it. Well, we're gonna jump into Scripture. Uh, Why don't you turn with me to John chapter 14, John chapter 14 and verse 12. We're gonna read uh, a couple of scripture, verses of Scripture here and then we're gonna jump into it. John chapter 14, verse 12, you can read along on the screens as well. It says this, now this is Jesus now speaking. John, one of the disciples, he is now, uh, he, he is recounting his journey of following this Jewish rabbi called Jesus who also happened to be the Son of God, and as he pens his experience, or he pens what he noticed and what he saw, uh, he, he starts to write down what Jesus said, and he says this in John 14, verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works, everyone say same works? Yeah, you'll do the same works as I have done. Watch this, and even greater works. Because I'm going to be with the Father, you can ask me for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Okay, one more portion of Scripture and then we're gonna pray, we're gonna jump into it. Matthew chapter 10, verse five. This is crazy, ready? Matthew now writes this amazing account. Another one of the apostles who followed Jesus or the disciples, he said this, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Verse seven, ready? Go and announce to them the kingdom of heaven is near, Verse eight, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Can we read that one more time, ready? Verse eight, this is to the disciples. Heal the, oh sorry, uh, preach the kingdom of heaven that is near, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Um, I wanna preach this morning from the topic, the title, for all those who are taking notes and wanna to go to heaven. Why don't you write this down? That was a joke, don't panic. Okay, so um, I want you to write this down. Why I think you're bored with your faith. Why I think you might be bored with your faith. And we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask God to really do something significant through His Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. So come on, can we pray together all across this room? And I realize not everyone in this room might consider themselves a Christian, you're a visitor, you're here for the first time. Um, can we just welcome those who are here for the first time? Thank you so much for being here. And I just wanna say, we, we really honor you for stepping into a space that is unfamiliar. Maybe you've never been to a space like this before. You're like, what is it? So much, it's dark and it's kind of production and it's like, it's like a Christian nightclub. Maybe it is. But, um, but we do honor the fact that you are here and we hope uh, we don't have a hidden agenda, it's actually quite open. We hope that you come to encounter the same love of God that we've encountered. And so, um, so we're gonna pray together in this moment, but let's all pray, and especially you, if you're here for the first time, would you open yourself up to what God wants to do in your life today? So come on, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that it's true, it cannot lie. And as we come around your word today, God, let it be a significant moment in us, Lord. So right now, we just calm down, we slow down, we just detach from the busyness and the thoughts that plague our mind for the week ahead, Lord, and we just want to be present with you because you're so very present with us. So Lord, we just make space for you. We ask right now, come Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, reveal Jesus to us. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Come on, one more time. Let's give God a huge shout of praise. All right. Okay, so let, let's do a little bit of a, um, a census here, okay? Across, uh, the communication 101 is that you should never divide the audience that you're about to speak to. That's 101, but I'm going to do that, okay? So uh, 101, let's go for that, okay? So how many people here, by show of hands, how many people here, you thoroughly enjoy a long drive, Give me a little, oh, okay, put, keep your hands up. That is a lot of people. Like, let me just clarify. You enjoy sitting in a car and, and for long distances and you're like, this is therapeutic for me. Keep your hand up. Okay, um, <laughs> that's interesting. How many people, okay, put your hands down. Okay, how many people here, that is your definition of hell? That's, okay, one more time. People who think that's a definition of hell. Yep, put your hands up. Okay, all those who think, man, that's just pure joy. Put your hands up. Okay, all those ones that lift their hands now, let's add them to the prayer request, Pastor Josh. Yep, okay, so let's do that. No, I, I do not understand you. I'm sorry. I do not get what is the joy in sitting in a metal box confined to this small space, like for long, I, I just don't, I don't get it. Some people tell me, oh, just, well, let's, we got a day off, let's, let's go for a long drive. I'm like, why? Why would you do that? And, and you're thinking, James, like, what's the big deal? And I guess it comes back to, you know, like many issues in our lives, it comes back to some traumatic incident in our childhood that, that causes us to become who we are today. Do you know that? Like, there's those moments, this little family of origin moment. Um, this is the reason why I do not, I, I vehemently am against long drives, okay? Here's the reason why I'm gonna show you a picture. Let's chuck this up on the screen. Can we chuck this up on the screen? This is the reason why I am against... <laughs> Long drives. This, for those who do not know, is a Volvo 200 series station wagon. Keep this up on the, I know this is what the word they use these days, this is triggering me right now, okay, so just to look at this. But this is a Volvo 200 series station wagon. Now, um, for, for, for me, my family, I am from a family of seven. Yeah, I have four older sisters and I am the youngest and the only boy. And everyone's like, well, that explains a lot. Okay, so that, that is it. So you could imagine when my dad, who loves to ski, he says, that, and we live in Sydney, and so there's no ski fields nearby. The closest ski field is nine hours away by car. Okay, so dad says, family, hop in the car. We're going to drive to the Victorian ski fields, a nine-hour trip. Now, this is where it gets worse because although this car seems, well, it's just a normal car, what's the big deal? Some genius in Sweden decided, you know, I know that this car could fit at least seven people, but for the seats in the back, let's mix it up a little bit. Instead of the seats facing like every other seat that faces forward towards the driver's side, let's, let's switch it up. Let's have the seats facing backwards in the back of the car. I'm like, who, what sicko thought of this? 
This guy was Sven over there, and Sven's like, I got an idea. Yeah, let's put the, the seats backwards for the kinder. You know, I don't know what he's like, who, whatever. So he's thinking, this is a great idea. And here we are. We are subjected to sitting in this car. And now, by, by we, I mean me and my youngest of my sisters, Heather. So we are sitting in the back of the car. Can, do you know what it feels like for nine hours doing this? <laughs> nine hours. Here am I sitting in the back. Now, how many people know if you go for a long trip, there's gotta, you've got to have some luggage. And where does that luggage go? In the back. So you are surrounded. So I'm driving. Can you imagine pulling up behind us? Here's these poor kids surrounded by luggage, traumatized by the long drive. Um, true story, we used to do this. Me and my sister Heather would get like a piece of paper and a little crayon and we'd write something on a sign and we'd put it up and people would pull up right next to the back of our car and the sign simply said, Help, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but, but here's the crazy thing. We, we, we would do this drive and I, I loathed it. I hated it. I despised it. But yet when we arrived at our ski destination, man, did I enjoy the destination. Man, did I enjoy arriving there and having the holiday with my siblings and my parents. It was such a great experience. The thing that I struggled with was the journey. In fact, I would go as far to say this, what traumatized me and made me so uncomfortable about this journey wasn't this the seating position, but the fact that it was just boring to sit subjected, just waiting to get to the, I know the destination's good, I know I'm looking forward to it, but, but man, to sit here and just wait until we get there, how boring. Now, I'll say all that to say this, Rudy. Um, when I was thinking about the state of the church, especially post-COVID, I'm praying, God, what is going on? What is happening? We all know that COVID had its effect. I know we don't like to talk about it. It's like, come on, James, let's move on. I know that. But, but, but what happened to the church? What caused now, like even churches around the world, for people to stop attending, to stop engaging? What, what happened? And as I prayed about it, I felt God say the reason why is because so many people are just not returning back because, man, church can be just pretty boring. Am I going to go back to the same old, same old? And you're thinking, well, I, I kind of like church. No, but, but, but let me ask you a question. Okay, um, when it comes to your normal Sunday, how many people here could list off what they think a normal church Sunday would look like? Probably most people in the room who are familiar with our church, right? So a normal Sunday would be what? You would, you would, you would show up to church um, and you guarantee there's gonna be someone at the door who's waiting to meet you and greet you. That's pretty nice, right? You get a little coffee in the foyer. There would be a couple of songs, most likely one fast song, two slow songs, maybe three. Am I right? Someone would get up and they'd do some prayer requests. And again, these things are all beautiful. Someone would welcome people, yep. And then someone would get up and preach. We would conclude the service and then we would go back to our nine to five. Now, are those things bad? It's not a trick question. I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know how to answer this, okay? No, they're not bad. They're fantastic. We've been doing it for a long time. But is, is that it? Like, I believe most people's normal version of Christianity is exactly what I just described. I come, I sit, I worship, I listen, I observe, and maybe I even go to a connect group throughout the week, and that is normal Christianity. To which I would say, um, 
I, I don't know if that's exactly how the early church, especially those who followed Jesus, would have seen the Christian journey looking like. In fact, if you were to look at the early church, I actually did a bit of a, a, bit of a study. I'm looking at going, what was normal for Jesus' followers, especially for the 12 that followed Jesus closely and daily? What was normal for them? Now, watch this. There was four things I found that were extremely normal. These were normal, not, not at first, but eventually, these were things that were frequent in the journey of the believer that not just happened in the fellowship of Christ, but also happened in them following throughout the book of Acts in the early church. Okay, ready? Here's what they considered a normal, not just normal Sunday, but a normal week. You ready for this? A normal week, this is, it would comprise of four things. They would preach and expand the kingdom of God. Normal week, they would heal the sick. Normal week, they would cast out demons. Normal week, they would help the poor. This was considered normal. So if you were to be part of following Jesus or part of the early church, this is what it meant for them to enjoy a normal Christian journey. Question, if that was yours and my normal, how many people know our weeks would be far from boring? How many people know that if that was what's happening throughout the week for us, that we wouldn't rock up on Sunday hoping they play my, play my favorite song, hoping someone's not sitting in my seat, hoping that, you know, oh, who's preaching today? You wouldn't care at all about what was happening here on a Sunday gathering. Why? Because, man, I cannot wait to show up to church to tell you what God did through me this week. Now, I'm gonna make a pretty bold statement. Ready? And If we are honest... Most charismatic churches or Pentecostal churches or whatever you want to call us, right? Most charismatic churches have become closet cessationists. Now, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but what is a cessationist? It's someone who believes that the miracle signs and wonders that God used and performed in the early church ceased with the apostles. That's what a cessationist is. But here's my belief. If we're honest, most charismatic churches, most of our churches have become closet cessationists. Listen, we have, been, we have given more attention to preaching good ideas and creating engaging services while ignoring the power that accompanies the gospel. We must never forget that the church is meant to be a space where people engage with the life-changing power of the Word of God, but also of the Spirit of God. That this should be normal for us to see the same things that the disciples and the apostles saw and the early church saw. And here's the thing, why do I think we are bored with our faith? Why? Maybe you're bored with your faith because you expect too little of God. And maybe, catch this, and maybe God's bored with your faith because you expect too little of Him. Can I say that one more time? Maybe you're bored with your faith because you expect too little of God, and maybe God's bored with your faith because you expect too little of Him. So, so, so let's get unbored, church. Let's just not pine for the destination and endure the journey. Let's enjoy the journey and let's continue the ministry of Jesus that He asked us to continue. Okay, right. Now we come to these portions of Scripture. What you'll notice about all of these accounts, Matthew especially, and we read also in Luke, I believe, is that they said, hey, um, they're hanging out with Jesus, they're doing the journey with Jesus, and they have observed something about Jesus, that everywhere He went, He didn't just teach from the Torah, He didn't just teach profound truths, but He performed miracles and He did things that were amazing. Would you agree? Okay, 
Then, not too long into the journey, he turns to the disciples and says, guys, you're up. Your turn. Which I think is amazing because what Jesus is saying, and we read it earlier, he said, guys, you're going to do the same things that I have did. In fact, you're going to do them even greater. Which is what? It tells me that the Christian journey is not just a belief system. The Christian journey is about continuing the ministry that Jesus started. Do you know what you said yes to when you said yes to following Jesus? You said yes to continuing what he started. So we're not just meant to sit in a service on Sunday. Yes, we're meant to enjoy community and fellowship and worship and all these great things, but we are meant to continue throughout the week what Jesus did throughout his week on the regular. Okay, so what were those things? What, what was a normal version of a Jesus week that the Jesus followers would encounter and they did back then and I believe we should encounter today? Point number one, this is what they would do. We need to recognize our role in kingdom expansion. We need to recognize our role in kingdom expansion. He says, go and announce that the kingdom of heaven is at hand or near. So what does that mean? Again, let's break this down. What is the kingdom? The word kingdom is two words, which means what? King's domain. And we're meant to what? Expand God's kingdom, God's domain, or you could say God's sovereign authority. Has anyone, ever, has anyone heard of an embassy before? Of course you have. If you were to go to another country right now, let's just say you were to go to North Africa and you were to walk into an American embassy. You know when you walked across the threshold of that American embassy, guess what you walked across into? America, that's right. What do they call an embassy? They actually have another terminology for it. Guess what it's called? Sovereign soil. As if to say, once you stepped out of North Africa into that embassy, you are no longer in North Africa, you are now in America. So when Jesus said, I want you to go and expand the kingdom, guess what we're meant to do? We're meant to be sending up embassies all around Virginia Beach. Listen, this is not just an embassy for the kingdom here at Wave Church at this particular location. Guess what? Your home is an embassy. Your workplace is an embassy. Everywhere you go, it should be what? The expanding of kingdom. And when you step in, guess what it's supposed to be? This goes from being in the world to now being the kingdom. This is beautiful because what does the kingdom stand for? Or what is God's kingdom all about? Romans 14, 17 says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And this, why did Paul say that? Because the Roman empire was all about external pleasures, which is the world's kingdom even today. It's all about external pleasures. And see, he says, no, it's not about eating and drinking, but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what God's kingdom is meant to be like. Guess what? This place should be a place of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Guess what your house should be? It should be a place of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. These are all what it means to expand the kingdom, but also we are called to invite others into the kingdom. Someone shouted it out before. One translation says that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as if to say, hey, this is not a kingdom that you need to go to. This is a kingdom that comes to you. 
This is a kingdom that you can reach out and it is at hand. In other words, it is close and every person is invited into this new kingdom of righteousness. What is righteousness? I have been made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ. There's nothing I can do to make myself perfected or pure. Only through Jesus' work on the cross on my behalf, I am now righteousness. On top of that, I get peace. What is peace? It's the shalom of God. Can you say that? Shalom? What is shalom? It's not just peace. It's wholeness. It's blessing. It's fulfillment on the inside. So you and I, that's what the embassy, the kingdom is meant to be, a place of that shalom, but also of joy. Oh man, how good is it to come into a church full of joy, into a household full of joy. That is what we're meant to do, is to set up and expand the kingdom. N.T. Wright would say like this, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project to snatch people away from earth to heaven, not just to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That is, after all, what the Lord's prayer is about. Your kingdom come. You see, the message of the gospel is not about just about getting people to heaven. It's about getting heaven to people. So your role, my role, church, listen, is what? We are there to what? Expand the kingdom. Every week, expand the kingdom. Everywhere we go. The next thing, oh, I love this. I've got to move quickly. Ready? We boldly go after healing and miracles. Boldly. He says, hey, go. He didn't even say pray for the sick. He just says, heal the sick. Just heal them. Now, this, this is great. I, I, ever, ever like, is anyone on Instagram? Give me a little wipe on Instagram. I know it can be like a soul-sucking kind of porthole that just drags you in. It's, it, it's done so much damage to a generation. I believe that. But you can follow me at James Murray. But um, <laughs> no, 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 horrible, horrible. But um, I, uh, I ever put a post on Instagram and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this might spark revival. Maybe you've never had that? I have. I've had moments where I'm like, I think this post could actually have a big impact. And I know it sounds a little arrogant, but you know what? No, I thought like, no, let's just go for it. And so I put a, um, a post on Instagram uh, a little while ago, and the post said this. It was basically just a text font put on a post, and I said this, God is not a reluctant healer, so don't be a reluctant asker. God is not a reluctant healer, so don't be a reluctant asker, and then send. And I'm waiting for like just sparks of revival to spread across our nation. I'm like, this is gonna be amazing. And then, and then a good friend of mine, his name's Dave, and I love him, he means well, but he just, likes to, he just likes to stir it a little bit, like stir the pot, do you use that saying over here, stir the pot? And he jumps on and um, he makes a statement. He says this on my comment section. He says, um, so what would it mean if someone enthusiastically asked God for healing, but didn't receive it? Does that mean they weren't audacious enough in their requests? Or was God unwilling to help or heal? Question mark. How many people love friends like Dave? <laughs> As I sat there, I'm like, good question, Dave. Appreciate you, brother, in the Lord. But I said, and, and honestly, is that, is that not a good question? I believe this is the reason why many people struggle with the topic of healing, to be honest. And so I sat there and I prayed and then I wrote this response. Great question, Dave. There is definitely great mystery around healing. Here is what I do believe. God is a healer. Sometimes people are healed and sometimes they aren't. 
I believe that we should pray for healing for ourselves and others and believe that God can heal and that we should be in the habit of doing so. In the same way a parent sometimes gives their kids what they want and sometimes they don't give their kids what they want, it's not because they don't love them, it's because they have other reasons which at the time are unknown to the child. God will one day reveal all, but until then he asked us to keep asking. So I believe our default position should be to ask and believe that he can heal, send. What do you think about that, Dave? See, I believe God still heals. Recently in our church, literally within the last few months, we have been standing on scriptures like this. We have been gone, have been asked to go and lay hands on the sick to pray for people to experience healing. Let me tell you a few stories. Firstly, a young man in our area, he actually had something called a spinal stroke. I don't know if you're aware or familiar with that, but basically what happens, it means that the base of the spine shuts down and this young boy, only 11 years old, was unable, just mysteriously unable to walk. They took him to the hospital, they're freaking out because this boy is very active, he's, very, he's in like social and in athletic clubs and things like that. And, and so the parents who are not church, they're not a part of our church, they are freaking out. But a couple in our church reached out to me and said, James, do you think we could pray for him this Sunday in church. So I got up at Sunday in church. We're talking about things like this. And I said, church, you know what? Um, I know the service is about to close, but I would love to pray for this young boy who I've just been made aware of. The church said, absolutely, let's pray for him. It was 10.33 on a Sunday morning. We together as a church said, Jesus, we thank you that your healing power still is at work in the earth today. Would you heal this boy of whatever thing is going on in his spine? In Jesus' name, amen. That simple. The day goes by. I'm sitting getting to ready to preach in one of our other city locations at a nighttime service. And as I'm sitting in my office preparing my thoughts, I get a text from this guy in my church who made me aware of this little boy. He said, James, what time did we pray for that young man? I said, 10.33. And he says, oh my gosh, FYI below. And he sent me a video of the boy walking at 10.38. Only minutes after the prayer for his healing. Yeah. One more, one more story. A lady in our church, a beautiful member, she's been with us since the very beginning. And, and she actually this year got, sorry, at the beginning of, sorry, midway through last year, got diagnosed with stage four cancer. As a church, we rallied, we said, come on, God, like, let's believe for her healing. She went to the doctors, the doctors gave her the report, it was not a good one. Her blood count was in the, I believe it's like 400s, which is, I'm not too familiar with the terminology, but basically if your count or cancer count is high like that, you have months to live. She came back, she gave us the report and said, it's not looking good, and we said, well, let's pray. God can still heal. Only a couple of weeks later, she called me, she said, James, you wouldn't believe it. I said, what? She said, we went in to do another blood test. The doctor came into the office. He said, I, 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 I don't understand what's happened. She said, why, what's happened? This guy was very, again, negative, if you wanna be that, or maybe just a realist. But he was shocked because when he got back the blood count, the blood count had gone from 400 down to 30. <laughs> Guess what? The normal count in a human body who's just a healthy person is 37. She was at 30. I spoke to her at church just gone last Sunday. She said, James, I had my final scan. Guess what? There is zero trace of cancer in my body to the glory of the Lord. 
Come on, God still heals. Listen, we are not the healer, but in most cases, God uses us as the vehicle for His healing power to flow through. But James, you say, like, what, what if I pray and nothing happens? To which my response is, what if it does? What if it does? See, let's make healing, the healing prayer, our first response to sickness and pain and trust God to do the rest. And I believe in just a moment as we do come to a close of our time together, I believe there's people here and you need healing and I wanna pray for you. Our team wanna pray for you. I believe God is gonna heal some people here today. I believe God has just stirred up a faith in our room right now that you could experience the healing power of God, right? Next, moving really quickly. I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm running out of time. Here we go. Next, number three, this was also frequent for a Jesus follower. We boldly take authority over the demonic. Ooh, it's got a little bit awkward. Mark 16, 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. <laughs> Charles Baudelaire, who was an 18th century French poet, said the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You know how, you know how fascinated our world is right now with the supernatural? You realize like the most, the top-selling movies, Doctor Strange, talking about witches and this demonic and then you've got stranger things and all of these shows all about the supernatural and what is a fascinating thing is the world is more comfortable with the supernatural than the churches more comfortable than the churches but here's the thing um we're going to recognize this not every problem is supernatural just so you know that so please don't be that person in church oh my gosh i, I was on the way to church and me and my wife just got in a fight and, and I'm pretty sure it was spiritual. No, it wasn't spiritual. You've just been a jerk lately. You just need to be wiser, yeah? Oh my gosh, I got a flat tire. I'm pretty sure the demons are trying to stop me from getting there. No, it's just a flat tire. So stop over-spiritualizing things, right? But let's also not under-spiritualize. See, not every problem is supernatural, but not every problem is natural. And there is some things happening in your marriage right now, and I'm telling you, it isn't just natural. There is an enemy to your marriage. He hates the union between a man and wife because it's reflective of Jesus and his church. He hates it. He hates that your young person would follow Christ and he wants to do his best to deter them and distract them from following God. And we as believers need to take authority back again. And what I mean by authority is not that we, this, have you noticed this about Jesus? How both in healing and both in the demonic deliverance of people, how calm He was? In healing, He didn't even pray. He didn't like, oh my gosh, let's pray for hours. He would just say, Lazarus, come forth. Stand up. I see. Like, so simple. And when it came to the demonic, what would He do? Come out. Why? Because he knew the authority God had given him. Do you know yours? That you could actually boldly take authority over the demonic? That as we expand this thing called the kingdom, that there is a kingdom of darkness trying to push back. But let me tell you, we don't operate on the, come on, on the defense. No, we are the offensively pressing forward, expanding the kingdom of light in this area and beyond. And we take authority over it. And that was common to Jesus followers. Last but not least, the common thing for Jesus followers. 
is they compassionately served the poor. And this is one of those ones that we've gone from like, you know, preaching the kingdom and healing people and casting out demons. We're like, yeah, let's go. And then you get to this and serve the poor. Yeah, can I tell you something right now? This is what's profoundly impacting about church history. Um, the early church operated in all of these things. Spending the kingdom. Everywhere they went, they'd go to towns and talk about the kingdom of God and how people are included. They would pray for people, they get healed. They pray against the demonic, people get set free. But do you know what turned the Roman Empire upside down and made, like, watch this, in 303 AD, it was the height of Christian persecution in the Roman Empire, 303 AD. But in 323 AD, literally 20 years later, the whole empire turned to Christianity, 20 years. You know what um, historians actually um, conclude? That it wasn't actually the healing, wasn't actually as much as they preached the Word of God, which did bring people to Christ. All of these things were amazing, but what they concluded, the thing that radically turned the empire upside down was actually how they served the poor. It was actually how they brought people in who everyone else had rejected and said, no, no, no. Like, now you obviously put yourself in that mess. We're not gonna help you. You need to get yourself out of it. But the church said, no, we'll take you in. And they were so gracious and kind to the poor that it started to spread through the lower classes of the Roman Empire to the point where there was more in Christianity than there wasn't. All because the kindness of the church to those less fortunate. So please, let me say this. Yes, let's preach the kingdom. Yes, let's pray for the sick. Yes, let's cast out demons. But do not forget to serve the poor. Because in doing so, we actually fulfill what was Jesus' ministry. Jesus said, I did these things. Did He not do all of them? And He says, now I want you to go and do the same thing. I say this statement again. Maybe you're bored with your faith because you expect too little of God. Maybe He's bored with yours because you expect too little of Him. Why do I think you're bored with your faith? Because the majority of the things I talked about right then, you're not doing. And there's no judgment, there's no shame here. But what would it look like, Wave Church, if we recognized that the ministry isn't just meant to be performed by Pastor Josh and the team and those on staff here, but what if we, as the church, were meant to continue the ministry of Jesus? What if this week you went out and the next time someone says to you, oh, oh man, I got a crazy headache at the moment, and instead of you saying, oh, that sucks, here's a Panadol, here's a tablet. What if you said, hey, I'm sorry to hear that. Do you mind if I pray for you? Please don't be weird about it. If you are, say you're from another church, but I'm joking, I'm playing, but don't be weird. Just, just be like, let me pray for you. And make it a habit. Let me pray for you. And here's the thing, pray a simple prayer. Lord, you love this person. Heal that headache in Jesus' name, amen. What if that happened this week? What if this week you actually expanded the kingdom by saying, hey, um, hey, work colleague, friend, you should come over to my house. Let's have a meal together. And little do they know that when they stepped across the threshold into your house, they stepped into kingdom territory. 
and they felt, my goodness, I don't, what is it about this? There's so much peace in this place. Like, what is that? Why are you guys so different? Hey, just let's have a meal. Let's just talk. Let's just open our life. What, what would happen if we did that? What if this week, instead of sitting in oppression from the thoughts that have been plaguing your minds, the dark ones, you stood up and said, I know who I am in Christ. And I'm gonna take authority against the, what would happen? What would happen if we um, walk past the person who was poor in the street instead of like questioning, oh, what are they gonna do with what I give them? What what have you just said? You know what? Yeah, maybe it's not smart to give them some money, but what if I do go and buy them a meal? And what if I do do this? And what, what if I just become the hands and feet of Jesus? Which I think, why is that so radical to serve the poor? Out of all those things, that's part of the top four things the early church, why is it? Because it's the, it's the greatest demonstration of one-way love. Because it's people doing something for others who know they could never do anything in return. That, my friends, is the agape love of God at work. So in closing, are you bored with your faith? How about you continue the ministry of Jesus? I promise you, Next Sunday will look radically different for you when you show up. And if you even just put into play one of those four things this week, it'll change the way you do the journey of faith. I promise you. You won't be sitting longing for the destination and during the journey. No, you will be like, man, how fun is this to continue the Jesus ministry that he started?